Thank you, Todd. While you're up here, you don't want us to come do the lesson? Yeah, I can just give that. All right, good enough. Good. All right, well, good morning. If you'll go ahead and get your outline. We are beginning the first of a two-part series on the healing of our nation. Many people believe that America is in the worst condition that it has been in in a generation. Economically, job loss in 2008, last year, was greater than it was in any of the previous 60 years. Politically, our government is polarized and paralyzed by partisanship. Culturally, our nation is becoming more and more secular and less and less religious-oriented. Internationally, our reputation is lower than it has been in the past. I read an article in Time magazine, and it, the quote, uh, the, it's up on the front of your, your outline. It said this, it's from January 8th of this year. These are serious times. The nation is facing a trillion dollar deficit. Congress has not given us serious leadership. Another article I read, said that our nation needs to be healed from all of the isms that have wounded us over the last few years. Materialism, hedonism, secularism, racism, factionalism, terrorism, extremism, consumerism, narcissism, and cynicism. Our nation has been wounded by crime, corruption, and scandal. And so we need healing. We need healing in our economy, in our businesses, in our schools, in our churches, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our hearts. Now the good news is, the wounds that our nation has suffered are not fatal. And that's the reason why I stand before you hopeful. Now, I did not say optimistic. I said hopeful. As believers, it's important for us to understand the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is often a denial of reality. It ignores the way things really are and pretends to see nothing. Optimism says, oh yes, but the sun is going to rise tomorrow. It's the idea that everything is going to be great, but it's not great right now. Hope, on the other hand, is much more deeply rooted than optimism. Hope is a biblical concept that says, even though everything looks bad, even though a lot of things are going down the tube, I believe in God, and I believe God has a plan, therefore I have hope in the midst of difficult times. So I have hope. So what exactly is it going to take to heal our land? Well, God made a promise to Solomon 3,000 years ago, and not only was it made to Solomon, but it was made to all of God's people. God gave some principles that will heal America, your life, your relationships, your marriage, 
your career. It's 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now in this passage, God is not talking to everybody. He's talking to my people. And He says if you and I will do four things, if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek God, if we will turn from our wicked ways, then He will do for us three things. He will hear us. He will forgive our sins. And He will heal our land. Now notice that each promise has a premise. Each promise has a condition to be met. And so we're going to take a look at the four conditions that are necessary for healing in our personal lives, in our homes, in our churches, in our schools, in our great nation. First step. We must confess with humility. The first step to personal healing, to national healing, is we must confess with humility. If my people will humble themselves. Now I have a question. Why, out of a list of four conditions, does God put this one first? Why does humble yourself get the priority over the others? Here's the reason. It's because the source of every single one of your problems and mine is pride. We think that we know better than God what will make us happy and what we need to do. Pride is what causes us to disconnect from God on a personal level, on a corporate level, and on a national level. We don't think we need God. Until times get real tough. One of the images that I have of post 9-11, 9-11-2001, is when the members of both houses of Congress were standing on the steps in front of the Capitol building, arm in arm, hand in hand, singing, God bless America. It took an enormous tragedy for our leadership to acknowledge the existence of God on a national level. James 4.6, it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Whenever we are prideful, we are on the opposite side of God. On the other hand, when we are humble, it says He's going to give us His grace. What is grace? It is the power that God gives you to make the changes that you need to make in your life. Proverbs 28.13 
If you hide your sins, you will not succeed. If you confess and reject them, you will receive mercy. When are we going to learn whether we are bankers or business leaders or politicians that cover up always turns into scandals? And so the first step to any kind of healing, whether it's personal healing or financial healing, is to say, Lord, I blew it. Lord, You are right. I am wrong. Until we come to the point of confession with humility, we will live in denial. So what will heal America? What will heal your life and mine? If my people will humble themselves and confess with humility. Second step to healing. We must pray with persistency. We must pray with persistency. It says, if my people will pray. I looked up persistence, and these are some synonyms. Perseverance, determination, diligence, doggedness. You keep praying and you don't give up. Lord, I'm not going to stop until you answer my prayer. There's an interesting story in Genesis 32. A fellow by the name of Jacob is wrestling with an angel, or as we would say in the south, he was wrestling. He's wrestling with this angel and apparently is winning. And I guess he has the angel in like a half Nelson or something. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's the principle of persistence. Our problem is, we give up too soon. So here's the question most of us have. Why doesn't God answer our prayer the first time we pray it? Since He knows everything, right? Is it because we have to somehow convince God and and win God over to our side? No. It's because praying with persistence helps you to discover the difference between a genuine longing and a whim. God doesn't answer whims. And if you don't care enough to pray about it regularly, then it's not that important to you. You remember when your children were small and you were walking down the aisle in the grocery store? You're walking down there and and your your child said, Oh, Mommy, I want this! And they they set all the candy and the stuff right at the children's level too. You know how they, I think the manufacturers probably pay for positioning on the where where the food is, you know. Oh, mommy, I want this. I want this. And they'll grab something off of there. No, you can't have that. Why did you say no? Because it's just a whim. The next aisle over, they want something new, and they've already forgotten what it was that they wanted on the previous aisle. So I heard this story about this little boy named Johnny, and it's around Christmas time, and This was a few years ago, and Johnny wanted one of these fossil watches made by the fossil company. 
You remember when those were popular a few years ago? Maybe they're still popular. And so he, he, he kept saying, I want a watch. Oh, he was persistent. He was tenacious. Well, his dad got tired of hearing it. And he said, Johnny, if you mention that watch one more time, you're not getting a watch for Christmas. Now, Johnny wasn't about to get up, to give up. He really wanted this watch. And so a few days before Christmas, dad asked if the children would bring a Bible verse to, to the, to the dinner table and read it. And Johnny was, he was, he was up on his Bible. He was pretty smart. So they were at the dinner table and dad said, Johnny, do you have a verse to read? And Johnny said, yes, I do. It's John, it's Mark 13, 37. Of course, nobody in the family knew what Mark 13, 37 said. And so uh, the dad said, well, Johnny, would you read it? What does it say? And Jesus said, behold, as I have said to you once, I say to you again, watch. (laughs) Now, that's persistence, isn't it? That's brilliant. Are you that serious when it comes to making some changes in your life? It's your choice. This is Colossians 4.2. Be earnest and unwearied and steadfast in prayer, being alert and intent in your praying with thanksgiving. How do you become unwearied and steadfast in prayer? Here's the secret. You make a prayer list. Here's what I've discovered. If I don't have things on a list, I'm not going to be persistent about it. If I have them written out, I'm going to say, Lord, here's four or five things that I would like to change right now in my life. Over 20 times in the New Testament, we are told to ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. You do not have because you do not ask. Look at this passage in Ephesians 6.18. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers, asking for everything you need. To do this, you must always be ready and never give up. Always pray for all God's people. Now, would you circle the alls and the always? Circle those. Pray all the time with all different kinds of prayer Asking for all you need, that's being persistent. And so the second step to personal healing and ultimately to national healing is we need to be ready to pray with persistency. And then the third step is we need to seek God with intensity. We need to seek God with intensity. The text says, if my people will seek my face. That's pretty strong in the English. Seek my face. I was reading some commentaries and they say in the original language, it is very forceful. It's almost on the level of a command. In other words, seeking God is not something that we do in our spare time. Well, There's nothing on TV tonight. And I've already read the newspaper, so let's seek God. It is a serious pursuit. That's the idea. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Would you circle the word 
earnestly. That means with intensity. What are you going to choose to seriously pursue in your life? You can't become good at anything. Baseball, basketball, football, golf, without intensity. We can't become good at prayer without intensity. Occasionally somebody will ask me if I, if I play golf. I guess ministers are, that's a requirement somewhere. I don't know if that's in the theological books. Here's my answer. I don't play golf. I play at golf. Now what that means is I dabble at it. See, I am not willing to make the commitment that is necessary to be an average golfer. No matter what level you are at golf, to be good at it, you have to be intense. Now, more than anything else, God wants us to be intense in seeking Him. More than money, more than fame, more than fun, more than comfort. So in Matthew 6.33, it says this, Seek first His kingdom. That would be with intensity. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Will you be that person in 2010, which is coming up pretty quickly? Very few people are actually seeking God intensely. Most people want just enough of God so He'll bless them but not bug them. Lord, I want You to bless me, but I don't want You to bug me. So how do you fulfill Matthew 6.33? Number one, you make the Lord your first priority. Number two, you make Him your daily passion. And he says, if you do this, then I will see to it that you have the basics to get through the recession you're in. This is Deuteronomy 4.29. If you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all of your soul. This passage is so important that it was quoted by Jesus when the experts of the law came to Him and said, what is the greatest command of all time? And He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. You have to seek God with intensity. It is not a part-time passion. So number one, we must confess with humility. Number two, we need to pray with persistency. Number three, we need to... What's my third one? Seek God with intensity. And then number four, we must repent with sincerity. We must repent with sincerity. This is what we have to be willing to do if we want healing in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our hearts, in our careers. What does it mean to repent? It means this. Change the way you think. That's what repentance means. You change the way you think. 
I change the way I think about what? The way I think about myself? The way I think about God? The way I think about what really matters in life? The way I think about my money? The way I think about my enemies? The way I think about my past, present, and future? Now, I read this in an article last night, so it did not make it to your outline. A modern phrase for repentance is this, paradigm shift. <clears throat> read that. Par- and if I read it, it's, it's bound to be true, right? Paradigm shift. I used to think this way, now I think this way. I used to think that I was full of guilt, now I think that I'm full of the Lord's forgiveness. I used to think about how lonely I was, Now I think about how the Lord is with me. I used to think about how angry I was at people. Now I think about how much the Lord has forgiven me. I used to think the most important things were money and fame. Now the most important thing to me is pleasing God. So the Bible says, if we want healing in our lives, then we must be willing to return uh, repent and turn from our wicked ways. Now, most of us probably don't think of ourselves as wicked. <clears throat> we think of murderers as being wicked. The truth is that all of us are a mixture of good and bad. Sometimes we do good things. Sometimes we do bad things. Sometimes we do very righteous things. Sometimes we do very some very unrighteous things. The Bible reminds us of what wicked ways are in 2 Timothy 3. Now Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul is writing to a young minister by the name of Timothy in the city of Ephesus, which was located, well, it'd be the western part of modern day Turkey. And he lists 18 wicked things. And he tells Timothy that I don't want you to be bothered by all of these things that are going on around you. Now as we read this text, we're going to see that this is a picture of American society. This is a picture of your life and mine. This is a picture of our national life. says, thanks brother. Uh, y'all can read. Go ahead and start. Thanks. I had a glass up here from three weeks ago, but someone took it down. <clears throat> People will, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> People will love only themselves and be greedy for money. They will be boastful and arrogant, insulting to God, rebellious against parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. And they will enjoy slandering others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and will despise anyone and anything that is good. They will betray their friends and impulsively do foolish things. They will be inflated with self-conceit and love pleasure more than God. They will claim to be spiritual but will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like this. So there's 18 things listed there. It's an exact model 
of American culture in the 21st century, and it's also an exact description of many things in your life and mine. These are the things that we as individuals and as a nation need to repent of. Take a look at the top of the list. They love only themselves. That means they're self-absorbed. We only think about how we look, how we sound, and how other people perceive us. Greedy for money. That means consumed with always wanting more. Get, get, get is our modern motto. Boastful. That means self-promoting. I'm always talking about me. I'm always making myself appear better than I am. Arrogant. That means stuck up and snobbish. Always looking down on other people because of what they drive, where they live, what they wear. Insulting to God. That means profane and contemptuous of God. On the comedy channel and just basic network TV, they like to make fun of Christianity and people who hold traditional values. Rebellious against parents. That means rude and disrespectful. People reject authority from parents to police officers. Ungrateful. That means unappreciative. As Americans, many times we don't appreciate what we have. For many of us, we have more in a recession than a lot of people have during the best of times. Consider nothing sacred. That means crude and profane, irreligious and secular. And that describes a lot of TV and radio. Unloving means heartless. I'm unkind and unwilling to help others. means unforgiving. That means unwilling to forgive. Unbending. I'm not going to let anybody off the hook. I refuse to sign the peace treaty. Irreconcilable. Enjoy slandering others. False accusers. We maliciously talk about other people by putting them down. What's interesting is that the word slander, the original word diabolus, is the word from which we get devil. The word devil. Who is the ultimate slanderer of God's people. Number twelve. No self-control. That means impulsive and uncontrolled. Girls gone wild. Get drunk, get stupid, and get a few diseases along the way. Thirteen is cruel, loves violence. Come on, we love to see the blood splatter. We love to see one human being destroying another because it is a part of our American value system. Despise anything that is good. That means cynical. They hate people who do good, especially anything done in the name of God. Betray their friends. Double dealing, backstabbing. They say one thing to your friends, another thing about them. Number 16, impulsively do foolish things. That means reckless, rash, irresponsible. Uh, We have an epidemic of irresponsibility in this country right now. By the way, everyone's a victim. We're all victims now. Okay, let's set 17. Okay, how about... Did we do 17? 
No, I tell you, there's a bunch in this list, in this power pack. No man wrote this. This had to be inspired of God to get all this in. <clears throat> Inflated with self-conceit. That means puffed up with pride. They look down on people who have less education than they do. Listen to this. Having an education simply means you know how to write some papers. It doesn't mean you have one lick of common sense. 18. They love pleasure more than God. The message paraphrase is great. It says this, addicted to lust and allergic to God. And then notice the last phrase. They will claim to be spiritual, but will reject power that could make them godly. We have a phrase for that. Phony spirituality. And there's a lot of that out there. Someone say, oh, I'm a very spiritual person. Do you read the Bible? No. Do you try to obey God? No. Do you go to church? No. But I'm a very spiritual person. There's a lot of fake spirituality out there. Now, it is true. There are hypocrites in the church. But I'm here to tell you, by no means do we have a monopoly on hypocrites. They're everywhere. And so this list describes American culture in the 21st century. Self-absorbed, money-focused, self-promoting, status-conscious, God-insulting, rude, unappreciative, crude, unkind, unwilling to forgive, slandering and gossip, impulsive and uncontrolled, loves violence, cynical, double-dealing, reckless, puffed up with pride, choosing pleasure over God, and a phony kind of spirituality. Folks, our land needs healing. And our hearts need healing too. Who's ready for a little bit of good news after that? Let's just get your hand for some good news. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, I am too. Believe me, it was hard on me too. <clears throat> Look at this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out <clears throat> and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We desperately need times of refreshing from the Lord to come in on our nation. We need it in our economy, in our businesses, in our churches, in our marriages, in our personal lives. And there's one word for it, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next Sunday. It's revival. That's what we need. We need revival on a personal level and on a national level. And revival means to bring to life again. So America needs our prayers. And here's what I, I hear sometimes. People will make a statement like, well, all of this that has happened, this is just a judgment of God. 9-11 was God's judgment on New York City. Hurricane Katrina was God's judgment on all of the vice and sin in New Orleans. I have a question. Why did God miss Bourbon Street? I mean, did he get just a little bit off, a little bit to the west too much? Bourbon Street never flooded. Bourbon Street was fine. No. 
Those things are not God's judgment on America because I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why. When God decides to judge America, He's going to start with believers, not non-believers. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the Gospel of God? Now here's some really good news. I want to end with this. 1 Corinthians 11.31 But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Let's start by judging ourselves. As we confess with humility, pray with persistency, seek God with intensity, and repent with sincerity, then God can work in our personal lives to heal us, and He can work in our national life to heal us. And so I stand before you as a person who has a whole lot of hope for this great country of America that you and I have been given the privilege to live in. Next week we're going to continue this and we're going to talk a little more on a national level what we can do in praying for and supporting our God-ordained leadership. Would you pray with me? Father, I need healing in, in so many areas of my life. And that's why I thank you for this passage in Chronicles. It's so clear and, and plain. I want to humble myself before you and, and admit that you're God, and I'm certainly not. I do want to be honest with you. I want to be honest with you and with the people around me. I'm willing to make a sin list and be specific about it and confess those sins with humility. Would you please forgive me for oftentimes praying shallow, superficial prayers? I do want to pray with persistence and I don't want to give up too soon. Father, I want to pray for not only my needs, but the needs that I know of of people around me and the needs of this great country of ours. I really do want to seek you with intensity and I want to make it a serious pursuit. I want to start each day by making you my first priority and certainly my daily passion. And I do want to repent with sincerity. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong and it seems like a lot of times things I continue to do wrong. I do want you to change me and I do ask you to forgive me. I want to start by judging myself. And if I do that, then Lord, I know that you can heal my heart. You can heal my relationships. And if enough of us will do this, then you can heal this wonderful and blessed land of ours. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have a particular need, please let us know what it is while we stand and sing.